Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. This week, I'm really excited to share a conversation I had with my friend, Dr. Emily Scopp. Emily is a busy professor with nearly two decades of experience in higher education. Both her research and her teaching are action-oriented, and Emily is deeply committed to the concepts of belonging, access, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Besides her work in academia, um, Emily is also a partner, a friend, a mentor, an artist, and a mom who really tries to uplift others through their life journeys with authenticity and care. Emily also seeks guidance from and collaborates with others who are doing everything they can to repair and transform our world so that we can live as well as possible. I loved this conversation with Emily. She taught me a lot. It's also it's always eye-opening and fun when I have a conversation with a friend who I know is amazing but turns out to be even more of a rock star than I knew. Um, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here is Dr. Emily Scopp. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm your host, Dr. Avian Banish, and I'm really excited today to have a conversation with a friend of mine, the very talented Dr. Emily Scopp. Um, Emily and I met when our my youngest son and her son um, became fast friends at school, and um, since then, we've had some very lovely conversations, um, and in particular today, I'm interested to talk with Emily, about her interest in um, really shifting um, higher education and research, um, shifting the shifting the field really to a more um, equitable and heart centered uh, arena. And so, um, Emily, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Evie. So excited to be here, and I appreciate the invitation. It's always fun when. Um, when I get to know someone uh, as a friend or socially, and then um, then you sort of figure out kind of what a rock star they are in their field. And so that's it's been really fun as we've been prepping to do this conversation in this podcast to just learn a little bit more about you. Um, Emily is a full professor at um, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs in the Department of Geography. And um, her husband is as well. And I would love to just inquire how um, how that experience is for you to be in relationship and in a, a, the same department. Because um, you guys well, seem to handle it really beautifully. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, Brandon and I met in graduate school and uh, became instant friends when we met each other. Uh, I was actually in a relationship at the time, and so I was not connected to Brandon in that way. It was much more of a, a friendship that that brought us together. And over the years, um, we just laughed a ton. We just had so much I fun together. And it was <laughs> never about our work. 
or, you know, geography. It was much more about our um, love of music and our, our love of, um, you know, uh, connection to planet Earth and hiking and exploration and adventure. And um, eventually uh, I got to this place where um, I went through a really hard time with a lot of things we will talk about, but um, I did lose my dad suddenly from a massive heart attack and totally unexpected way. And my three grandparents died all in the same year as well. And that and some other growth experiences led me to a divorce. And then um, Brandon and I kept hanging out and we were in Silverton, Colorado, and we were on this field trip that Brandon has continued to host students for really, really uh, every January for a week. They take students out and measure snow and ice and all these things. And anyway, I, I came along because I was interested in the cultural geographies of uh, Silverton. And Brandon and I just realized like all of a sudden one night at dinner, basically like, you know what? We need to get married. Like it was like <laughs> crazy. Oh my goodness. Uh, and we need to have children together. It was, it was just this very uh, force field of the universe coming together that told us that we, we needed to, to be together. And so uh, it was in Silverton. And so we got married in Silverton and we've been married for, uh, this is our 20th year of marriage. And we joke about being 40 steps apart pretty much all the time, 24 seven, whether it's down the hall in our offices or um, in our, our, love lives and our children's lives we're, we're we're connected a lot. I know you're you're married and have a good deep relationship too. So um it's, is- it's we just we don't talk about work very much. We just don't. Um and I think that's what helps us continue to have a strong relationship. Well and just knowing you guys, I mean your students are both so lucky. What a what a jackpot a student gets if they study geography at UCCS because um, just wonderful. I mean, brilliant people and um, and engaged and connected and warm teachers. I mean, that's what we all want. And I, I sense that that's what you both are. So how wonderful is that? Um, we have talked a little bit, you know, I, um, I, in my role as a physician and maybe pushing some of the norms and boundaries in that field, um, you shared me, with me this beautiful and amazing op-ed that you co-authored with a number of different professors um, in October of 2021 that kind of went viral in your field, you would say, or in in the world of higher ed, um, entitled An Ethos of Care. And um, I wonder if you could just share with us, you know, we can go back into your history, but if you could share with us the impetus for that, how that even came about and um, how scary that was to write. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> recognizing that it yes. was, it was a, a huge moment of vulnerability uh, for me and then for uh, my co-authors to, to put this out there into the universe and see what uh, people would say. Um, it really came out of this um moment when I was serving as department chair, uh, as the academic leader of uh, the geography department. And I was in a tough spot. It was um, 
during COVID. It was during the George Floyd outbreak. It was it was during um, a lot of different experiences that basically all came together and created um, this this feeling in my heart that something was not right in how we were doing our relationships in academia. Um, there were some really great light moments during that experience of being department chair, but I was also feeling a huge, deep dissatisfaction and exhaustion much of the time. There was also a suicide of a friend who worked at UCCS, a wonderful, vibrant, totally wholehearted centered woman, Michelle Neely. Uh, and she uh, committed suicide. And that really was a, a hard moment for many of us uh, in a, an almost like a call for help from her that I took as a, a, something I needed to talk about. Um, and actually, I have the great luck of having a cabin and um, that I go to maybe twice a year for a sort of but one time it's for like just getting a ton of work done, being mm-hmm. super productive and getting getting myself caught up in all the ways I need to. And then the other way, it's for moments of just pure rest and pure uh, moments of self-care and figuring out me. Um, mm-hmm. And I was there and it was in January. It was right after the East Troublesome Fire, which our cabin thankfully uh, was not impacted, but our foundation was. I mean, it, it was that close. It was a, several of the homes in our community were burnt down. Um, and so I was sitting there in the middle of winter um, and in um, 2021. And I just found myself compelled to sit down and write in a way that I had never done before. Um, it was literally like something came over me. I had to get my thoughts down on paper. It was really similar to the way Elizabeth Gilbert speaks about her experience of writing and the big magic that happens mm-hmm. uh, when an idea just is, you know, hurled at you. And I just had to had to write. And there was just a lot going on at work, and I could not make sense of it. I was feeling super misunderstood, frustrated, unheard. I really felt desperate to be heard and to let others know that I heard them too. And so I wanted to be willing to take responsibility to make that situation better. And this idea um, of a pledge just popped into my head. Um, and I drew great inspiration from one of my co-authors, well, both of the co-authors, Martina Angela Coretta and Caroline Feria, but especially Caroline. She uh, was a um, colleague who created what's called a feminist collective lab. And she worked at my former institution at UT Austin. So I was a professor at UT Austin before I came to UCCS. And um, I was just stunned and inspired at the same time by her work. It was super vulnerable, her her work. Uh, I knew from my own experience in that same work environment as a young assistant professor over a decade ago that um, that what she was proposing was so courageous and so heart forward that I was just so inspired by what 
she did with her situation, how she took a situation that was so challenging, so impossible, and she turned it into something so good and so powerful. So I wanted to do the same thing with my current situation. I wanted to make it better. I wanted to disrupt the status quo. I wanted to use feminist ideals, especially from Black women thought leaders and create new positive ways forward. And, you know, I, I work with authenticity, uh, authenticity and integrity as much as possible. Those are two of my core values. And so I really just wanted to um, add my observations to her work about a feminist collective and the idea of an ethos of care just popped into my, my head. I wrote down the pledge. It was all in like 10 points and 10 minutes almost. I mean, it was that fast of a of a writing process. And I um, then stayed up late into the night and just felt this incredible energy um, as I wrote firsthand and handwriting and, and uh, created the pledge. It was then that... Um, I listed items that I felt would increase my own sense of belonging and help me remember how to be a more thoughtful collaborator. Um, and I shared the piece with the UT Austin uh, colleague right away and a few other people at UCCS. And, and as you shared it, it, they people just really resonated with the piece. They, they appreciated the um, authenticity of it. And then they encouraged me to publish it. And again, yeah, like you said, I was really hesitant. I had never opened myself up in my academic context, my whole heart. I just paused because I felt I needed to protect myself a lot. Um, and it felt so raw and so personal. But then I just have this amazing colleague, Jesse Smith, who's on the piece as well, who she just is so caring and thoughtful herself. And she said, you have to, you have to put this out there. Um, and so I said, okay, if you will be a co-author, <laughs> if you'll, if you'll tag team me on this, we've learned, you know, that's some of the best ways to get through situations is, is have a partner and have um, collaborators that you can really trust. So anyway, I knew I had to, more work to do and more lessons to learn, but we just put it out there and, um, it's turned into something really exciting that's just led my my work for the last two years since then. Wow. So there's so much to unpack in there. I think um, for context, for those who may not be in academia, um, we know that um, we know that the problems that plague society um, expand into all fields. But I think um, those maybe not in academia may not understand how it is still um, in ways this, this kind of bastion of old ways more than other fields. I would I would so to be um, a female professor or to be um, a person of color as a professor, um, that experience is is still challenging like th this ethos of care um when i say it it took courage it took courage right there was some fear that there'd be backlash or how would you be perceived or were you being academic enough and pro professorial enough or was this too feminine and led with the heart you know all of these things that i'm sure you thought about and worried about can you just speak to you know the culture a little bit for people who are not professors yeah i think that um 
I think this this experience probably resonates for for many uh, women identified and minority identified uh, people who are oftentimes the only person in the room who is of their own identity. And of course, that identity is intersectional and really complicated. And so it's that oftentimes you're narrowed down into this one identity of representation that makes it very challenging. So um, for a long time, um, I was one of the only women in um, the sciences. And I was the first woman to get full professor. Um, oops, I'm going to change that. There were other women who got full professor at our university, but for 20 years, someone hadn't gotten the full professor rank. So that speaks to some of the barriers uh, that come to uh, those of us that work in this field. The field itself is really uh, focused on hyper individualism, productivity, and uh, continual idea generation and being at the top of your game all the time. Um, and so that comes from pressures from many different places, but it oftentimes leads to these feelings of isolation and loneliness because um, it's a constant critical environment where everything you do, every aspect of, of your job, whether it's teaching in the classroom, you get you get feedback from students, whether it's uh, your research, you get peer review critique, uh, whether it's your service and committee, the rest of the community is mad at the committee for doing X, Y, or Z. Um, there's just a lot of, everyone in this field is hyper uh, critical because that's that's how they've been trained to just constantly question yep. and that just creates um, some exhaustion. And uh, when COVID-19 came out, that was when a, a lot of these inequities um, just came to real, a real nakedness and a real uh, openness about what we needed to do to think about how we do better um, in creating a more inclusive uh, system. So this whole idea that people hear about of publish or perish, and you know you have to get X number of accomplishments is, is a real thing. Um, and we're asking in our ethos of care, whether we can take a pause and figure out other ways of, of being and doing in this, this field. Years ago, I attended um, a women in medicine conference at Mayo Clinic, and there was a woman there who had written a book called Off Ramp, Off Ramps and On Ramps, I believe. And I might be getting that mix. It might be On Ramp, Off Ramp. I can't remember the exact title. But the idea was this brain drain that happens um, for women. I mean, it was that book was particularly focused on um, people who identify as women. And this idea that like we hold on for about 10 years you know, and then there's this degradation, this, this exhaustion that happens. And right as a lot of women are re reaching the peak of their wisdom, the peak of their career, they, they off ramp out of the field because it's, it's so, uh, the challenges are just too great. 
And then the, the idea of this book was that getting back on that ramp is so challenging as well. So that we have to do something, we have to change something in order in the culture um, to maintain this this amazing brain power that is women. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it's a you know in medicine, it's I, I think across a lot of fields, this is this is the problem is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder then if you if you can talk a little bit. I mean, having read an ethos of care, and I will definitely link it to the show notes. It's amazing to me that you it was like a download almost, like it came to you. Um, but can you talk about what's those points a little bit, like like what you want to shift and change in an in an ideal situation, in an evolved version of of academia and research. Thank you, Aveen. I mean, this is this is goes beyond just academia, really. Like, if, if yeah, <laughs> the world were able to take on this ethos of care, we would be such a better, better globe, right? Um, Absolutely. The, the the key idea that we're trying to do, and um, the 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 cool thing that's happening is that some of the the institutions that reinforce a lot of the um, barriers that are in place that that uh, lead to this bleed out that you're talking about that I think you have shared with your listeners that you came to a place where you had to to stop and, and pull away. Yeah. Um, so we had took this work and we we said we need to present this to those institutions that that continue to perpetuate some of these, these difficulties. And we applied to the National Science Foundation and, and we got money to continue this work um, through a, a convening of care, which we can talk about in a little bit. But back to what you were just saying, um, if I if, if I could say what we're, we're guided by is to reorient academia towards justice and compassion. And recognizing how our institutions are made of both systems and structures as well as hearts and minds. Um, that, that's the big goal. The pledge itself um, is an opportunity for anyone who's in a collaboration, whether it's a collaboration of teaching, research, um, or leadership, any uh, sort of opportunity where you're working with one another. Um, to think about new norms and new strategies around how we do that work. Our um, our points are our points. So we invite people to basically come together, read read the pledge together, and then talk through them as they're as they're building these collaborations, and then to go back to them every year to say how are we doing. You know, is there something we need to change or is there some element that's missing from uh, this pledge that we want to uh, tailor to the specific needs of our individuals and our teams? So we do a both systematic and person-based approach because it's both, right? It's both the way the systems are are set up um, that really create longstanding inequities and injustices of academia, which is our first point. Let's let's center our academic pursuits around um, a feminist ethic of knowledge of production. So how can we use this idea of, of care and uh, 
demonstrating that there really are some longstanding inequities that that we need to address and embrace. Um, and then we go to things like protect our mental, emotional, and physical well-being and growth in the research process by supporting each other's professional and personal aspirations. So, you know, there have been many times when one of us in a collaboration has something that they must address in their personal lives or in their because of their physical well-being or their mental well-being. And uh, instead of just pushing through that, which is like the normative way of doing it, we say, okay, you know what? We're willing to take up that work for each other at different moments so that we can we can be supportive and, and caring. Um, and then one of my most favorite ones is really, well, I, I like them all, but um, <laughs> mentoring up, all down, your babies. <laughs> mentoring up, down, and across professional and personal life course stages to unsettle hierarchical relationships. So there is a lot of hierarchy in this industry. So everybody has a title, and that title comes with certain amount of credentialing, certain amount of bruising, I would say, and a certain amount of um, joy that comes with uh, having had longer term knowledge in, in a place. At the same time, there's this this real fixed nature to that. So we really want, you know, I have mentored over 60 students and uh, graduate students and then undergraduates. It's, uh, you know, you can't even count. But that's just one of the best parts of the job. It brings me so much, so much joy and happiness. Um, and I really don't want to treat that in the same way that academia treats relationships. So what I mean there is there is a power relationship, no doubt. I I have more power than a student has or in a different than an assistant professor has or, or whatever it is that are all the hierarchies. But at the same time, I want to disrupt those, those power dynamics and create a collaboration where I'm learning as much as um, the, the people that I'm working with are learning as those students. I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, walked away from a conversation in the classroom or uh, in a one-on-one in -on -one discussion where it's so meaningful and totally shifts the way I was thinking about something. And then the last one that I want to talk about, if you don't mind, is this idea of disrupting perfection. Um, yes. <laughs> perfectionism is a big problem in uh, my world and how I've been operating through my life um, and really trying to, to continuously strive um, instead of thrive, like Brene Brown talks about. Um, and so I have learned, and this is something, again, like this pledge is like both the things that I'm really good at and then both the things that I aspire towards. And so sharing insights and experiences, overcoming challenges, failures, and rejections, as well as motivation, succession, successes, and ambitions is part of what we want to do. Um, because the more we share our failures and our rejections, the more empathy we're going to have for each other and the more compassion we're going to have for each other. And that seems to be a, a good way forward, in my opinion. 
I love that. You know, I've been teaching mindfulness this week to teachers. And one of the things we've been talking about is that the mind, you know, can either be in a state of survival or a state of creation. And really we're looking at the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic nervous system there. And this pledge really seems to be a shift out of fight or flight. You know, it's, it's acknowledging that, um, that we live in an abundant world, even in academia, that there's right. enough funding, there's enough time, there's enough ideas to, you know, um, and I really think that's beautiful. One thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, I, I participated in a really beautiful group um, called Unrooted at Root, um, uh, a really lovely yoga studio here in the Springs. And it was a year-long group um, of wonderful people looking at um, issues of justice, equity, inclusion, and really um, asking not if we had bias, but like where our bias was, right? Because research shows that we all have bias. I mean, we all have prejudice and bias. And um, if we think we don't, we're just not, we're, we're, it's in our blind spot. Um, and I found that to be really rewarding work and hard work, right? Yes. It's it's challenging work. It's deep work. It, um, it kind of creates some friction and, and uh, really asks us to dig deep in ourselves. Um, and so I wonder how this pledge you know, when you talk about the hierarchical power structure in academia, um, it's very similar in medicine and especially in academic institutions and this idea that, you know, I've earned this position, you know, as a professor and um, those that just don't want to look at that or don't want their power to be disrupted, right? Who's, who want their power. And yeah. so I wonder how, um, how, it's been received and what challenges there are in, in us doing this work together, because I think it has to be done collectively and individually, as you said, but collectively for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the listeners can't tell that I'm like nodding my head along <laughs> with you all the whole time that we're, we're talking, but um, the work has been surprisingly embraced. Um particularly by uh, who you would expect it would be uh, women and minority mm -hmm. faculty um, and students and who say, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly right. I mean, some of the comments are just so validating. Uh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever read kind of, kind of things. Yeah. Um, and then there is this, fear that I literally see in people's eyes when I present this kind of research uh, and this, this ethos of, of care um, where I, I can just tell that they know that this makes sense. And yet they just fear that it is going to take away something from them. Right. Um, and in other work that I do with a team here at UCCS, another National Science Foundation-funded grant called Project Crest, we're working on having these deep conversations about mitigating bias and really drawing upon a lot of data and evidence-based practices that um, help people to understand the world help them see things that maybe they hadn't before like you said like you have these blind spots and maybe it's worth wondering why 
there still remains far fewer Black academics uh, in higher ed than you would think there should be based on, you know, the percentage in the population. Maybe there's some reasons why um, women in the sciences continue to, to experience um, a dropout um, when they get to uh, graduate school. So, so we have over majority of, of women and, and undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And yet once we get to say the associate professor in the tenure process, it's only, you know, in the thirties percentile that, that we have women in the STEM. Uh, so that's something that um, we have conversations with in a very organized uh, workshop with our colleagues to talk about some of these issues and um, hopefully open hearts a little bit more to um, what is what is happening and, and, and ways forward. But as you said, for some reason, you would think that academia would be like the place of most change and openness and, you know, lifelong learners. And yet there is this systemic uh, resistance to opening up and looking more like the society that we live in and creating um, the kind of innovation that can come when we have more diverse workplaces. So, Well, I think it's really exciting that this ethos of care is being um, nurtured by you and these other amazing um, professors across the world. And, and like everything, I think systems are being disrupted right now in all, in all fields, in all areas. And um, we have to begin somewhere. Right. And so this pledge um, is such a beautiful uh, view of what could be. Um, And I think it's brilliant. I'm so excited uh, that you are the one among other colleagues that gets to kind of foster it and bring this work into the world, because I think the combination of your accomplishments and your your open heart is um, and your wonderful marriage, like you have enough resiliency and support around you that you can, you can, um, you can do this. Uh, uh, it's really exciting. <laughs> well, I have to say it, it hasn't come easily. Um, and it's taken a lot of my own quiet time to think and decide really? where to put my energies and also to find new ways to, um, find self-care and and rest um, to do the work. Because uh, as Trisha Hersey, as Lama Rod Owens, as so many others, uh, your guest the other week uh, who talked about her work in Gather. um, Oh, Octavia Rahim. Yes. Um, This kind of work can't be done unless we're doing the internal work that we need to do to make sure that we're um, in a place where we can take on these fights. And I've just, uh, just as a sort of, I know we're getting to time, but um, I was a weaver in college. So besides geography, I was um, a tapestry weaver. And um, 
when I started my job and I had this huge loom, I carried it through all of my different graduate school days and into, I think, seven different places and had these friends that would just help me carry it and take it upstairs <laughs> and pull it apart. And it was, it was such a, you know, a huge part of my life, uh, quite literally and figuratively. <laughs> it was um, like taking and, a piano with you everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I got to Austin where my first job was at UT and um, this was a big job. This was, this was like the cream of the crop kind of job in terms of um, expectations and, and the workload and, and what was, what was going to be expected of me. And I, I just knew I can't, I can't leave anymore. I don't have time to do this. I have to focus all everything in me on this job. Um so I gave my my loom away to the art center there and, and lost track of it. And I had uh, this awakening that came out of, uh, out of the grief of the suicide, um, out of the grief of my father, who really, uh, 20 years later, I had not processed mm-hmm. the grief that I had with him. And my divorce and the, the deaths of my um, grandparents and just so many things. And there was just as part of this ethos of care was also an awakening for me. Um, And I just took up weaving again. And I have just this tiny little loom now, which is really disappointing. It came in the mail and I was like, oh, this is not, (laughs) this is not weaving. But then I went to uh, the Manitou Art Center, which is nearby. And I met Mary Madison and she is a longtime weaver who teaches classes and has this beautiful studio. So anyway, I'm getting super excited about that. And I'm starting to realize all of the analogies between um, the metaphors of, of weaving and mm-hmm. the the ways. I mean, I hear you say words that are related to weaving all the time. I hear many people talk about the untangling, um, the shepherding, the interlocking, the integrating that we we do, and um, it presents itself all the time in our language. And so I see weaving as a great metaphor for this academic work, because in in this ethos of care work, what we're doing is we're weaving, we're we're bringing together separate threads and putting them together, and that's that's what a teacher does, right? We make a community from separate individuals, and, and so at this moment, it's just so exciting. It feels so good, so positive, because you know I'm bringing together these strands of not only my history, my culture. I have traumas in my past, uh, the place and personal experiences, but the strengths for other communities with whom I'm collaborating. And uh, we're bringing together all these communities and finding ways to to weave a new tapestry together. So it's pretty exciting. It is so beautiful, um, Emily. And, you know, I I kind of feel one of my passions in terms of even talking about living in a heart forward way beyond all of the scientific evidence now for heart coherence and this idea that the heart can inform the brain um, and really open up the brain is, is this idea that um, there's really no separation in our life. I think, especially as women in science and who kind of donned a role for me, put on a white coat for you, you know, got this designation as professor. Um, we tend to, uh, we tend to kind of cordon off parts of our life, right? Or we we separate what we think we need to, how we think we need to present versus, you know, the things we loved, like weaving for you, like 
singing or, or music for me. And um, there is such repair in the, in the tapestry when we can bring those things back together, when we can make the time for creativity. Um, and, and it's this, it's this feedback loop then that helps the work that you're doing an ethos of care, you know? So I would invite anyone listening to just notice those parts of yourself that you've shed, right. That you, and you, it's such a beautiful story. You literally shed the loom after you had hauled it to probably six other places. (laughs) And so to reclaim that is a reclamation that is, is heartening. Um, and it almost is like a full circle moment. It feels like as you share that. So I want to say thank you truly, Emily. Um, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who is one of my teachers at his retreats, he always talks about how there's a lot of healing work done there. And when someone heals from something, he sort of brings them up for a testimonial and, and talks about that, that they've just run the four minute mile for whatever they might've gotten over an autoimmune disease, a cancer. And for you, I would say you have run the four minute mile as your, as your, um, as your friend and colleague did at UT Austin, like she inspired you, you are inspiring, you know, you're showing that this can be done not only in academics, but I imagine that this will cross pollinate into other, into other um, fields as well. And um, it takes courage. It takes grit. It takes resiliency and an open heart. And I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story here. And um, I'm so grateful to know you. So grateful to know you, Avine, and gosh, you know, together we're creating magic with our own sons and yeah, uh, and them, and that's a whole other topic for another day. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I have to have you come back on. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to share? I can. I'm going to link. Um, I'm going to link the ethos of care. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to. You know share things in, in the show notes, but I just wanted to make sure that you feel as if you have shared what you wanted to say. Well, thank you uh, again, Avian. You know, I came, it wasn't just our sons that brought us together. Um, there was an opportunity for me to connect with you because of some work with, with my therapist who had pointed out the way that you approach the world and, and your wholeheartedness. So um, it was just uh a, a wonderful synchronicity that we came together. Um, and so I just want to thank you for the opportunity to to share out this work because I do think it, it has, um, I think, I hope people hear something of themselves. Absolutely. And um, also just, there's this amazing retired weaving teacher from California. Her name's Consuelo Jimenez Underwood. Um, and she, she is, you can listen to her for hours and her wisdom, but um, she says in, in her own work, and I'll just leave with this. Um, I hate to sound like a mom, but, you know, just keep busy and do the things you want to do and are good for all of us, but especially yourself, you know, and if it's textiles and threads, then do it, you know, and if you want to do it on a Sunday, then do it on a Sunday. And if you want to do it 10 days a month, and if you want to weave every day, even better, but just do it, just create something from nothing and it will empower the spirit, the mind and the humanness in all of us. That is the perfect end to this conversation. Dr. Emily Scott, thanks a million for being here. Thank you. 